Who's got a plant in their house like this? <laughs> um, doing its best to survive. Like the green is still there, but it's kind of like droopy and half of it's kind of dead. And it's really struggling, isn't it? Um, plants are pretty much either growing or dying, um, shriveling or thriving. And it can be a bit like that with our walk with God, our Creator, with our spiritual vibrancy, our openness to Him. Um, sometimes it feels like we're shriveling. Other times it feels like we're thriving. I remember a time um, back, at sort of university blues is how I kind of describe it for myself. Um, university, I'd been a serious Christian since the age of 13 and found kind of this new world of entering into to university, moving from the, I was a country boy on the farm, uh, moving to the city, and, you know, wanted to sort of roll on with that, got connected into some churches. But kind of six months in, I felt this real lethargy of faith. And it was a kind of, I'd hear sermons, I'd be reading the Bible, and I was sort of like, they're words, but they're not going in. They're not going into it. I'm not really holding on to it. It's not hitting my heart. There's, there's nothing in there. It was enga- I was engaged in it, but there was not that cut through that I experienced before. Month to month, you know, I was just in this rut. I returned uh, to my local church. I used to go back every six weeks just to get away from the traffic lights. Um, and uh, just to feel a bit of country air again back at Noangra, where I grew up. And I was asked to give a testimony alongside a few other people that had done the similar thing to me, uh, just to the church, how are we going? And I had all this prepared stuff, but I found myself as I was sharing the story getting quite upset. And that wasn't something I did. Um, you know, uh, but expressing it, uh, how it had been quite hard. And people, they would known me since I was born, and um, they felt for me. But I hadn't really expressed to them what was really going on. I guess they were thinking it was more the practical stuff of, you know, moving away from home, the homesickness and all that. Um, But it was actually something deeper for me and spiritually. Well, I know these people, they prayed for me. Uh, Maybe not in that moment, but they they were praying people. And I believe their prayers were pivotal in me sort of gently coming out after that six months uh, about then, stuff started to make sense again. It, it wasn't like in one moment, but there was a sense of, ah, okay, when that person speaks, when I read scripture, it's like um, I'm understanding what the Spirit has to say again. I want you to consider, what is the time of your life when you felt you grew most spiritually? You know, what made the difference and if you can even put your finger on that, you know, if you think back to that time, maybe you haven't thought about that before, it's worth considering. What made the difference? Maybe it was when you first became a Christian, you didn't know much, so kind of the growth curve was like you were taken off. You know, it was just a percentage change was so large. Or was it a time when you had the most supportive uh, crew of fellow Christians around you? that you just really bounced off the vibrancy of their faith and, and you grew as a result of that. Maybe it was when you were most adventurous and you were pushing the limits of where you'd been before and you were seeing some amazing breakthrough in your spiritual life. 
Or maybe just as some people shared in those testimonies last week, that there were some tough times. Tough times where you're like, wow, that is rough. But you saw God through it and you grew so much. You know, for people that are aged under 18, we watch and they're experiencing it, the natural process of growing physically. Um, I'd argue after 40 also, um, but it's in different directions. Um, but growth is part of the experience of people around us. And we will comment, my, how you've grown. You know, teenagers, you love that, don't you, when people are speaking to you uh, like that. Um, you know, we watch little babies and we, they, you know, they change so much so quickly. And this can also be the case spiritually for young people. And um, I worked 20 years uh, in the particular youth and young adult space, uh, volunteer and working. And, you know, the world is new for them. They see the new wonders of God have got to be grasped and there's rapid change in their life. And they're often in constant learning and growing environments, whether it's study, sport, friendships. And that's why it's important for us as a church to be supporting our children's, youth, young adult ministries, because it's, such, it's like watching bamboo grow. And if you've, I think there's a world record for like bamboo can grow up to 90 centimeters a day. Can you fathom that? <laughs> but, you know, uh, for a younger person... That is kind of their experience. Things can change in an instant. New understandings of the world. You know, the older we get, perhaps there's a sense that our growth can feel a bit more stunted or even like that plant, a little bit shriveled up. So for this series that we're about to step into, can I invite and challenge you to consider entering in a new phase of growth in God over this series? You know, don't let the opportunity go by. Not only for yourself that you would benefit, but for the sake of those around you. You know, we sung in that song just then about um, where we're seeing Jesus' name over our family. You know, so the growth in us might affect our family and friends around us. So, how do we grow? Um, there's three kind of aspects that we're going to look at over quite a few weeks. The first of all is about the God of growth, knowing our master gardener, a climate of growth. What are the conditions that we can really thrive in and a pathway to growth? Ways that we can put ourselves in positions of growing regularly. So we're going to unpack that more and there's kind of a key little scripture of John 15. Um, it's the whole image of a vine and You'll see as you walked in today, um, Sarah Bishop's prepared that for us. Just a bit of a theme to see that. Uh, these graphics on the screen, we read these words, I am the vine. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, at GBC, something we've said about ourselves and we have it as an aspiration, you know, we, we ask the question, why do we exist? And we answer the question with this. We exist to glorify God as a worshipping. So that's giving God the credit. Maturing. That's what we're going to be really touching on here. It's kind of we embrace growth. We think this is part of how we glorify God. 
And we want to be a missional church. You know, join Jesus to make disciples as he asked us to. So I trust that no, no matter how long you are here, even if it's today only as you're traveling through, when you're here at GBC, you will have a greater wonder of God and who he is, a more robust and matured faith, and that you'll be invigorated to share the good news uh, that you've received with others. Our aim is to invest in one another, to do things that we could never do by ourselves, but as a local church, grow in depth and width as we do this. I'm going to ask Belinda to come and share uh, the reading from today, which is from Galatians 3, verses 1 to 14. And we're going to begin our journey in looking at uh, who God is and how he works in this world and seeks for us to grow. Thanks, Melinda. Yes. Uh, yep. Just make sure you're on. Yep, you are. Galatians chapter 3. Just step forward a bit more. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was not for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, every man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thanks very much, Linda. The whole book of Galatians, um, yeah, encourage you to read that. Uh, we're going to unpack a little bit of it today. Um, but the thing I want you to take away from today is this. One of the first things about discovering how to grow is to know that God is for you, not against you. God is for you, not against you. Now, we've even sung songs today that kind of describe that. To say, if 
God is for us. Who can be against us? And we, I want us to sort of take more deeply. Do I really own this? Do I really understand that God is for me and not against me? And be a way, of, uh, as we go through today, to kind of test where we're up to on that. Our view of God can be one of the biggest obstacles to our growth if it is limited. Knowing who God really is, who our master gardener, the one who's going to tend us and not leave us like that plant we saw at the start, understanding how he works in our life, why he works that way, how he works to grow us and mature us to be all that we created to be is so important. We are created in his image. He has his fingerprints all over our lives and he wants to just, uh, show us who we were meant to be. Um, I've heard over this past week and even in the testimonies last week, people testifying to the fact that at different points of their life, they were angry with God. And that's not having a go at those people. They're just being very honest. You know, I was angry with God when this particular thing happened in my life. Perhaps we've all been there at some point. It's a sense that perhaps God uh, is against me. He's holding me back or whatever it is. And Scripture shows that that's actually a normal human experience. You know, particularly we see the Psalms by David, um, but other places, uh, people like Elijah and Jonah and Saul and Abraham and Sarah, each felt at different points God was actually against them and not for them. They expressed, expressed angst and they had questions and um, often they came really stuck when they're in this kind of position, that God is against me. But we find in the Bible that the God of the Bible is a God of grace. And we could think of grace as simply something about forgiveness or the absence of condemnation. But, you know, God does forgive, but grace is bigger. Here's a little definition for you. You might hear it as unmerited favor or undeserved favor. Undeserved in the fact that uh, we can't do something for ourselves that needs to be done and favor, that is, someone's working for our good. So if God is a God of grace, he's doing something for us we cannot do for ourselves and he's working for our good. He is for us. You know, like a small child relies on their, their mother to feed them. You know, they don't, the mother doesn't say to them, um, you have to earn your dinner. You, they can't provide that. There's no way that they can. It is freely given. To grow under God's grace, we need things that we do not have and cannot provide. Now you might see the canola in the fields across uh, our area at the moment. You know, those seeds cannot provide for themselves anything to grow. It needs to be planted, watered on, the sun, maybe protected from weeds. And the canola seed doesn't demand its rights. It's gifted life to multiply 
beyond itself. That is what is undeserved. But also to grow, we need someone working for our good. The Bible says if we have faith in God, we are in an entire life situation of grace. Now, Paul, in the book of Galatians, we've had our reading from it, he contrasts these two phrases about being under law and about being under grace. I'll just move forward a bit. And there's uh, this picture I want to kind of um, describe to you. I'm not going to go through every single verse in this passage from chapter 3, verses 15 to 29, but uh, you can move to that spot if you like. It's just beyond the reading we just had. I'll find my spot too. I'm going to show you kind of in picture form what is written there in Galatians. God made a promise to Abraham that blessing would come through a future generation, ancestor of his. And the language used there from his seed like a seed planted into the future. Then law was given by Moses. Now this, this law that was given was given as a guardian. It was uh, kind of looking after people to point them towards what actually uh, would prohibit them from having a great relationship with God. And it guided them in to the best life to live. But this promise of Abraham didn't just uh, rely on the law. It went well beyond that. And the verses say that this seed that was promised to Abraham, one of his ancestors that's really going to come through for the human race, is Christ Jesus. The seed has come. And finally... Those that belong to Christ, those that recognize what Jesus has done on the cross on their behalf, they will be heirs according to the promise that was given to Abraham many thousands of years before. I just want to pick up the scripture from chapter 3, verse 23 to 29. We're just going to read that. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up, until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The law is no longer our guardian. Now, what does all this mean? How can we unpack this a little bit more? Romans 6 just quickly alludes to this. Uh, Paul again, For sin shall no longer be our master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Uh, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. 
there's this tension that Paul brings up in his writings. Living under law has a negative view. There's a negative view of that. There's a positive view of living under a God of grace. Now, there's a picture just before. I can't just go back there. The law itself, as a guardian, was there to actually point out the flaws. The flaw in us to live up to God's high standard, his holiness. It's like a warning to saying, you are not going to be able to do this by yourself. You can't just stand aside from, from God and do what God wants. It has to be something that you join him in, that he's moving you towards his holiness by his power. You know, grace says, I'm going to give you what you need that you can't provide for yourself. But law says, we must earn through performance. Law says, I'll take from you. It's going to cost you. You're an enemy. But grace says, I will help you do it. Grace reverses the law. The function of the law was not to grant salvation to us, but to convince people of their need of salvation. I'll say that again. What the law came to do was not to grant us salvation, but to convince people, us, of our need for salvation. What's the application for us? How can this all connect with growth? Oh, by the way, Paul was pretty keen in his words. And we can see these, uh, these words in chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. He didn't want the Galatians to turn back to law. Now, their particular issue that they were facing in this book of Galatians, if you read the whole thing, was about keeping the law by actually... So these were Gentile people that weren't circumcised, the men. And people were coming in and saying, you need to be circumcised to show that you're really serious about this faith. And he was saying, don't go down that track. That law, that rule is not going to save you. Just kind of doing a, a little ritual task is not going to bring you to salvation. You're going to be slaves again if you go down that track. Let me unpack that in our real world situation that we face today. We compare these two ideas of living under law or under grace. I put it in this kind of curved kind of shape to, to kind of point to the fact that kind of it's a slippery slope one way or the other. Like you, you make a choice. And you start heading in that direction and you can find yourself like well into it very quickly. Under law or under grace. We make a choice that changes everything. If we slip towards under grace, we are saying, I can run to God for help. I can run to God for help. Why? Because I know God is for me. I have a conviction in my heart that that is where my best growth will occur. If we feel God is against us, we will either reject him or we'll try and make him like me again. 
for it to get to convince him that we're good enough to be around him. Seek his approval. Because, you know, it kind of seems a bit scary. Paul says that this is the opposite of how life is meant to be lived. Here's an illustration. Henry Cloud, in the book of um, How People Grow, which uh, is giving some shape behind the messages in this series, he shares this story of a friend who was trying to counsel another friend, Dirk, to lose some weight. Now, Dirk needed to lose 45 kilos to get to kind of a more um, healthy weight. Dirk, he felt, um, you know, this is what he really wanted to go after, and he wanted to make a commitment to God and his friend that he was going to lose this weight. Every few months, he'd be accountable to his friend about how he's going with his plan. When uh, his friend checked in with Dirk, Dirk um, his weight had actually gone up, not down. We'd gone in the opposite direction. His friend had really confronted him and said, like, this is serious. You know, you, you, you're going to really um, test out your health when you're putting on that extra weight. Now, Dirk, he responded and spoke as someone under law. I know I failed. I know this is sin and that is all it is. I know that God is displeased with me and I feel terrible. I'm such a sinner. This is really bad. I'm such a sinner. All I ask God for forgiveness and I'll do better. I'll really commit this time not only to sticking to the diet, but also to exercising. I know I've done wrong and failed God and you, and I promise to do better. These are words of kind of condemnation, aren't they? Henry Cloud was talking to his friend and just recommending, you know, Dirk is headed for failure again if he doesn't change his whole belief system around this. You know, under law and not grace, he felt that God was angry for his failure. He kind of wallowed in guilt. He wasn't expecting undeserved favor. And he still thought he could earn his way out of the problem by just trying harder. A deeper commitment to save himself. I don't know, have, have you felt like that at different points? I know I certainly have. I was like, I'm just going to try harder and, and push uh, deeper into this and I'm just going to be more committed. I contrast that with a grace response. To consider that God is for him. God is not angry at him for his failure, but is interested to see him get healthy. Like that, he's for him to have a healthy weight. It's not about condemnation and not guilt. But it's more aligned with the heart of the writer of Hebrews who said these words in um, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, someone that sees God is for us comes with confidence that God wants to help us in our time of need. I'm not going to shrink back from that. I'm going to run towards him. Grace teaches us that God is not surprised with our weakness or our frailty or our failure. The words of Paul, once again in 2 Corinthians 12, 
when he was recounting God's words to his heart. He, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, where I am weak, then I am strong. Grace says we can't do it by ourselves. Help is needed for someone outside us. You know, Dirk, he needed to reach out for help, coming to the end of himself. He was, you would say he's reaching out from an accountability point of view, but he's going nowhere with the kind of accountability he is seeking. He needs help, he needs support and encouragement. He needs to submit to a group or a person that can offer him real help. He needs to deal with the hurt and pain that drove his eating. He needs structure in his life, so when temptation comes, he knows what to do with it. Dirk's not going to get any further, as he showed his results of getting bigger, not smaller, just by having more willpower, willpower or self-effort. And we need to hear that we need to live under God's grace, not under law, over and over again. Because we, very defo we default quickly to try and do it by ourselves. It's just what we do as humans. I don't know if you're familiar with this. 12 Steps program, the, the language changed over the years, but it's still, as you look to some of the early stages of 12 Steps program for Alcoholics Anonymous and others similar, it's about running to grace. The first three steps, the first one is about honesty. We admit we are powerless over our addiction, that our lives have become unmanageable. Honesty. The second one is the statement of faith. The third is about surrender. Honesty, I need help. Faith, I need help from someone outside me. Surrender, I'll accept that help. Identifying our need for grace. Often we can think it's just a a nice idea out there. Very, God is very gracious to us. But often identifying that in ourselves, you know, law is not without value. It points out where the problem is. But it is powerless to change people. It provides awareness of spirit, where spiritual death is and that we need to find the God who seeks to deal with them. As you finish, how do we use this understanding of God is for us and not against us? Four little uh, thoughts. One, examine your view of God. What is the image of God that you carry? Is it someone right now that you think, yes, he is for me? Or is he against you? Like what kind of language is rising up even in your heart and mind. You might not say it publicly around your Christian uh, friends or something, you know, God is against me. But if we're honest, perhaps at times we're like, yeah, he feels totally against me. That's how it feels. We're looking at scripture and saying it's not the reality. 
but it's often how we feel. Examine our view for God. Do you see him as for you or against you? That might be the biggest question you can ask today. But if you can go forward and say, um, what can you celebrate? Just like Elliot told us before, you know, where are you already seeing unmerited favor, undeserved favor in your life? Where has that happened? Just even in this past week. How can we encourage each other in that? Thirdly, stepping into growth. So we head into this new series and just in this moment, in this day, what are the places that you identify that you would love to grow in? How can you be most open to see God bring a change? Maybe it's in your family, in your work setting. Maybe the attitude that is in your heart of a resentment in a situation. Whatever it is, how can you run towards the grace of God and grow? And that's kind of linked with the last one. That actually, maybe you don't know of your need. And you might benefit from someone else, you know, sitting down with someone else and saying, like, when I speak, how do I talk about God in my life? Like, how do I evidence in my life what's going on? Someone that you trust who can come back to you and say, actually, yeah, I see you, you're kind of getting a bit more sour over the last little while. And it might be something really worth looking at. Where do you see God? Is he for you or against you? And get that person joining with you and praying alongside you. It's a vulnerable thing to do, but it must be one of the most important things you do. As I shared at the start, when I shared that, that story with the, with the church, you know, saying how difficult it was, although I didn't describe it, there was something that shifted in me that I was being vulnerable with a group of people about I wasn't traveling well. And they prayed for me through that. Just as before we finish, here's, some, here's a scripture that Paul, when he was writing in Galatians 2, He'd come to this understanding of his need and he chose to reject living under the law. Listen to these words. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. We're going to listen to a song which is called Run to the Father. And in this song, it, it really sums up all that I've been speaking up till now. So I just want you to, to listen and look at the words on the screen and maybe use them as a tool to kind of examine where you're at in this space with God. Do you see him as for you or against you? And can you run to him with what you have in your hands, the need that you, you carry? Let's look to the screen. Thank you.
Lord God, there's um, such truth in those words as they join together with the scripture that we've been reading. If we run uh, towards law and try and kind of fix it ourselves and, and convince you to love us again, we're going to get stuck. But Lord, when we run to the Father, we will run to you. We are honest about where we've failed. We recognize that we need something outside of us, your grace. And we surrender to what you would gift to us. That is where life starts uh, to take a whole new meaning, a whole new set of possibilities. And if there's uh, one thing that you've put your finger on today about where we're stuck, um, where we've actually perhaps seen you in the wrong light, that you're against us rather than for us, that you would remedy that by your spirit, that you would show us what is truth. And we'd, uh, just as the song said, uh, again and again and again, we'll run to you. Never becoming proud that we've got it sorted. But being open to the growth that you want to bring into our lives. Thank you for the good God that you are. You want to see us thrive, live as you created us to live. May we receive that good gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.